I'm Kate Daniels. Mental health, mental illness, and its relation to people who we might see on the streets, on whom we pin the label, homeless. One of the ways to find a solution is to have an informed conversation with someone, in this case, a licensed mental health counselor, to get the bigger and deeper picture. And so we are fortunate to have Chuck Patrikas with Pacific Medical Centers here to provide some insights and ideas. Chuck Patrikas, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. I am really looking forward to this conversation. I think a very important, vital conversation that I feel affects each and every one of us, and that is mental health, mental illness, and uh, just what we're seeing in the community around us. Now, Chuck, you are a licensed mental health counselor, and you work with PacMed, Pacific Medical Centers, here in the Puget Sound area. Tell us a little bit about yourself, the work that you're doing, and and how you go about it. Sure. Um, yeah, so I work with populations, uh, veteran populations, um, some elderly populations, uh, children, teens, really the, the whole gamut of different uh, diagnoses in mental health, um, anywhere from eight years old to 88. Um, we see these uh, patients as they come in for different um, health issues in our clinic. Um, maybe it starts out with something that is occurring in the body, and I would see them to do some of the emotional work that comes along with um, being uh, involved in chronic pain um, and accident or just certain behaviors um, associated with, um, you know, getting better. What I love about Pacific Medical is that we treat the whole person um, from your thoughts and feelings to your physical self. And I've been doing this work for about, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years, um, started out working with children um, in the foster care system and things like that. Now, that is a, a real critical area, too. I feel children, foster care, that is, uh, you know, almost a, a nurturing pot in a way of what we're talking about in terms of mental health and mental illness, because there's a lot that goes on there that establishes what goes on for their future. Absolutely. And, you know, you find um, kids who show up in various states of need, and that's really speaking to the whole family's um, socioeconomic status, their their whole story of healthiness, um, generational well-being. And these kids are often the result of um, a whole system, not only just the family, but it extends out into the community. Um, we're talking about um, state and local levels of how people are um, getting treated, how they're getting healthy. Uh, what kind of access they have to to help in general. So, you know, it's almost starting with the kid and, um, you know, I end up working with the parents, I end up working with the siblings, uh, the whole family, which to me is, is very rewarding work because you're not isolating one person saying, oh, you're the problem, you're the sick one. It's like, you know, you're the alarm bell uh, sounding for the rest of um, the whole system that is broken, but then we do see a lot of change in resiliency, especially when you involve their family and community. And would could we say that with mental illness, a lot of it might present itself at a young age, or is you know there are just different situations and um, 
it might manifest in early childhood, but something may not manifest until uh, middle age. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about kids, at least, um, you begin to see kids coming in around 10, 11, 12, um, the beginning of adolescence, um, puberty, the body's starting to change, and some things that are are dormant um, start to rise up, and you see that present itself. But depending on um, the disorder or the um, kind of thing that's coming up, other things pop up. you know, in 20s, uh, we're talking about acute stress disorders, maybe the results of um, post-college um, dysphoria, uh, not knowing your place in the world. And then something that maybe your dad struggled with, your mom, um, now shows itself uh, later in life. So it really does depend um, on, on, you know, the, the specific part of the brain that's being triggered in the, the age and things like that. But yeah, I think the teenage years is when I begin to see it. But then as that evolves, uh, it looks very different into adulthood. Um, we're talking about um, also just about people's um, honesty about, hey, I'm struggling. You know, that could take 10, 12 years uh, for someone to actually um, say this is a big enough problem that I want to come in. I want to talk about it. I want to be honest. This isn't working and I can't do it alone. All of what you say is just so incredibly valuable, I feel. My initial foray into wanting to have this conversation with you had to do with the homeless population, uh, a lot of the people that we see on our city streets, particularly uh, in Seattle, seem to have some sort of mental disorder going on. And I'm feeling with some of the things that you're saying could be the background for some of the people that I see that are uh, wandering around or sitting uh, along the city streets. So thank you for bringing all of this forward. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the homelessness population and and the whole uh, situation we have right now, it's extremely complicated. And I, I think, you know, this is the kind of thing, these are the kind of conversations that need to happen. I think Um, there's this sort of, perception or reality almost that the homeless population is the visible invisible Uh, we see them but often they're not treated with that same respect and humanity so i think you know having a format just today to be able to talk about it on the radio and you know enhance people's understanding um and almost visibility of this conversation in the community is absolutely important so that's an important piece of it perhaps and undoubtedly, there are people that walk along and just have blinders. It's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm not even going to acknowledge this. But the reality is we need to. These are human beings that we are talking about. So, Chuck, I'd like to know, you know, what would be the most proactive way for us to, for an individual who perhaps isn't going through struggles and noticing someone who is, how do we deal with that? Well, I think there's there's a few rules of thumb here. Um, first and foremost, be safe. Be aware of your surroundings um, and just kind of be able to assess the situation. I think most of us do that. But when we're talking about being intentional with people, getting to know them and uh, possibly approaching them, you know, those are the kind of things that we just want to check first. Um, but I think eye contact um, does a lot just to say, I'm going to look at you. 
I'm going to acknowledge your existence. And doing so, we're sort of entering closer into uh, the world of someone else. And I think that's when the barriers begin to come down. Uh, from that place, you're more likely to have a conversation. And just starting a normal conversation, hearing these people's stories, if that's what you're being compelled to do, I think there's a world of stories that these people have lived. And people aren't, aren't listening to them. Um, and I think if you're not comfortable with that, then you can you know, familiarize yourself with the homeless resources in your area. There's people who have been doing this work for decades. They've dedicated their life to understanding, working with, and helping the homeless population. These are the kind of people that you can ask, you know, what do I do? How do I, um, how do I help? And I think within those organizations, there's, you know, there's several things that you can volunteer for. But, but I think also there's a place where people give out these sort of blessing bags. And these are like bags that you prepare ahead of time um, that have socks. Uh, that's a big thing that the homeless population asks for. So there's centers that already do that. They accept donations. They're giving these out. Um, if you don't know where to start, I would say call 211. That's it's just a community number to be able to call. Um, it's something um, that the city offers. It's sort of a nine to five number where they can give you um, assistance on uh, information on uh, homeless shelters, legal referrals to help other people, housing assistance, all that stuff. And is it fair to say or that these individuals really are seeking help, but somehow they are settled on the street. I don't even know that they would necessarily have somewhere to go to sleep at night, except right there on the street. Yeah, and I, I think there's so many. Uh, the diversity of of the homeless population is also um, a difficult thing to sort of tackle. Um, there's those who live in encampments. There's those who do have some sort of stable housing. Um, there's those who travel going from city to city. And I think their ability to access those things is a question. Their desire to access those things is a question. Um, getting them into a shelter, getting them into a long-term program really is the goal. Um, I think the real change happens when they uh, can find, you know, we're talking about the, the fundamentals of, of all of us. We need food, shelter, water, and then healthcare. Sobriety is a big issue when we're talking about impact, all these different things. So just connecting them with a resource that can do that long-term stabilization um, is something that, you know, it's a huge struggle, but it's very possible. There are organizations out there and, you know, maybe these people just haven't connected with another human being for a while, maybe they, they don't have that sort of even community within the homeless um, population to talk to and, and to feel cared for in that way. So I think those, these are just important things to just start of ask yourself to say, what's my capacity? Um, in what way can I be a part of this that isn't just all about relieving guilt? It's not all about, you know, patting myself on the back. I don't, I don't think that really gets us anywhere. I think um, a genuine um, curiosity um, for someone else's life and well-being is where it, it begins and ends. Absolutely. Really wonderful direction and, and encouragement, Chuck. I appreciate that. 
And so uh, 211 then would be a resource for us to call and find out about different organizations where we might connect and then find a way to be that involvement in, in one certain way because not one individual can do all of it. So we just need to find our niche, right? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I can offer a few different resources um, in the city area uh, for the listeners that, you know, they might not know exist because there's some really creative, interesting things going on here. Um, so there, there is a um, organization called Westside Baby. Um, they collect, inspect and, inspect, and distribute free diapers, clothing, cribs, and safety gear for babies and children in need. So there's, there's that baby side of, of the homeless population, you know, because we have a whole family uh, group represented, uh, even if you don't see them. And so they're just centering in on um, the infant aspect of things. We have youth care, which is centering in on the teen population. Uh, they've been around since 1974. Um, this is a place that accepts volunteers. Um, they're doing outreach, basic services, emergency shelter, uh, housing, counseling, education. Um, we've got one called Acres of Diamonds, and that's um, located in Duval, Washington. And they serve homeless women and children, and um, they provide transitional housing, um, allowing them to step out of homelessness back into the community. Um, we've got birthday dreams. So sometimes children in homeless populations, they never get a birthday. Um, so their goal is for every homeless kid to have a birthday party. And once again, a place where you can volunteer. And this one is new, um, and I think it's really interesting. It's called Samaritan. It's an app that you download on your phone. And it reveals the stories of homeless people that you pass by daily. So once you download it, the app alerts you every time you pass a beacon holder, um, like a homeless man or woman who has shared their story with the organization. So you can read through bios and learn about your neighbors living on the streets. Um, and you can choose to donate cashlessly through that if you want to. That one sounds really incredible. So here we know someone who's been willing to open themselves up. They want to connect without us being uncertain and approaching someone to maybe want to connect with them, that this would be one safe way to do it. Yeah, and it's it's using, you know, our technology. It's utilizing um, this thing that we're so used to. This is the way that, you know, we access you know, groceries, we access help, we access things on, you know, buying, shopping online. And I think to utilize phone technology to bring out the stories of these people on the streets is just an incredible idea. And I think it's a safe way for us to maybe begin the conversation when we don't know what to do or where to go. And so it's simply downloading this app and it's called Samaritan? So that does seem like such a simple way, along with allowing us or giving us the the means of being able to donate in whatever way we want to and amount we want to right at that time. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think however we get into the conversation is valuable. Let's just get you know into that conversation. And I think there's so many people who are well-meaning, but they just say, I don't know how, or I'm not equipped to, you know, deal with the homeless population, whatever. And I think those are valid fears. And I think valid concerns, you know, that I have too, when I pass somebody in need, um, I ask myself, well, what do, what do I do? And what do they need? And, you know, where do I start? 
And I just think starting somewhere is, is valuable. And I think if you're listening, uh, you're starting that conversation. You know, you're, you're opening yourself up to receiving information and to, you know, even just saying, where, what do I want to do with, with everything that I've heard today? Right. And what we perhaps should realize is that, uh, again, we're not going to be the one who's going to do it all. But if each of us did some small part, rather than kind of just floundering and not knowing what to do, if each of us did a little, wouldn't we be making some strides here? Yeah, I think that incremental change um, is is what we're looking at, because this is an extremely huge, complicated and long-standing issue. It's not going to get solved. It's not going to get eradicated. Um, but I think the idea of impact and understanding is really important. I think the ignoring um, and fearful posture that can happen um, is something that I think damages, you know, the humanity of these people and um, just sort of stalls the, the movement that our city can have in these sort of things. And you know, other cities uh, tackle this differently. And, um, you know, we're just in a particular time where, where the conversation feels really relevant right now. And I think all of us, you know, in some way are in a part of this conversation. And so part of it, you were mentioning the kids in foster care. And I believe I've heard this before, that this is really such a, a delicate population because of what they often, well, typically will be living through, that many of them can end up on the street as homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that once again, is a, there's so many different ways that this happens. But and I, I think, you know, when we talk about women uh, in particular, you know, domestic violence situations are happening and sometimes they need to leave the house um, with their children or just themselves suddenly. And they find themselves, they don't have uh, the means to be able to support themselves. And, you know, that is just one way that they, that a woman can end up on the street with her kids, is that she's escaping a violent situation. She's trying to protect herself. She's trying to um, almost better her, her, her station in life to be homeless is better than to be abused. And there's just that, that sort of entryway as well as, uh, you know, even things on postpartum depression and how that, you know, once again, building a family and the stresses, you know, that we all understand when it comes to raising kids. But if you take out basic resources in that equation, of constant money or family support, you put in substance abuse, drug addiction, then you just have the potential for that family to be fractured or that family to be sort of pushed out into desperate places and they will find ways to survive and those ways of survival may not give them, you know, the kind of life they want. And it's, it can be a slow process too. We talk about how someone ends up on the streets and once again, everyone's story is, is unique and, you know, just worth listening to. And so we might mention again that some of these stories may certainly come up on the app that you mentioned on Samaritan, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So a very worthwhile app to find and uh, get onto our phones. So that's a really critical 
area of mental health and mental illness that you've mentioned. Chuck, what are some of the other conditions that people are facing? When we talk about people in the streets, um, we're talking about depression, obviously, but also bipolar, schizophrenia, the myriad of anxiety disorders. And I think an important one that maybe isn't talked about is PTSD. So PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's a condition that exists when somebody has um, been through a life-threatening situation or just any kind of trauma uh, that causes them to feel unsafe, um, having flashbacks that the, the situation's occurring again. And in order to sort of manage or deal with that emotional pain, they may turn to substances or it may exacerbate other parts of their mental state that then you know, creates a behavior or a pattern of living that's unhealthy. Um, even the condition of living on the streets um, can be something that creates PTSD. Um, we're talking about sexual assault that happens. Uh, we're talking about general assault that happens. Uh, we're talking about the idea that I don't even have a home to live in, um, to walk around in the rain. I mean, these are things that um, over time can just deteriorate the, the brain's ability to, to feel safe and to, to even lose a sense of um, identity about who you used to be. You lose a sense of dignity. Um, and, and you're just open to so many other kinds of, um, you know, ways of living in that condition. Um, it's, it's a condition where you're scared and sometimes you're hostile because, you're perceiving threats around every corner. Um, so the police and other people sometimes have difficulty approaching um, somebody on the streets um, because of this situation that they're, they're in uh, inside their head. And, um, and I think this is, this is just what we see sometimes on the streets. And uh, it's the compounding of a lot of different things that went in their life and uh, things that have, gone untreated. That is just so much to take in and and really create such heaviness. And and yet we need to keep looking upward and forward in, in, in terms of what we do for solutions. And and so I wonder in terms of some of these persons may already have gotten some uh, help, some direction, which might involve medications. How did they keep up with something like that to remember perhaps to take medications or perhaps those get stolen even? You can see that easily happening. Yeah, I think that's another difficult um, aspect that that people um, who've been working with this population are struggling with. Um because we're talking about uh, access to these kind of resources. We're talking about transportation to these kind of things. Um, you know, they don't have a phone that gives them reminders to do things. They don't have maybe another supportive person in their life to, to remind them to do. So there are people in our city who um, do the hard work of finding people under um, overpasses. Um, they go into the camps. They go to where they are living. They go find teens. They go find elderly. Um, sometimes that's what it takes um, to do the work. And, you know, these people are putting themselves at risk. And um, it's such 
it's such good work. And um, I think that's that's the kind of necessary access that has to happen sometimes. And just to know that, you know, there are not only invisible people in the streets, but there are invisible workers, uh, invisible people that we don't acknowledge who are um, just, you know, dedicating themselves to do this and putting themselves in harm's way at sometimes. So those are the people, I think, that are doing that and they're understanding um, the complexity of, of access to care here. And those individuals, are they working for an organization? Are they staff somewhere? Uh, most, in most cases, they are. And um, if they're not, I would, you know, definitely recommend uh, if you're somebody who's doing that to get connected with an organization. Um, because I think when you're working with a population and you're working with a population that I work with as well, I think compassion fatigue is something that is big. Um, there's only so much you as a person who is in this kind of um industry that you can hear so many painful stories. It takes a toll on somebody to um, to be seeing and witnessing that pain every day and uh, the struggle that's occurring. And sometimes it's the hopelessness. Uh, sometimes people are not getting off drugs. Sometimes people are not getting into care. So huge need to be connected to an organization, to other people who get it. So you can tell your story about how you're struggling to, to help others, that you can't do it alone. Um, I just can't say it enough. Um, I think that's how we we have resiliency. That's how we have sustainability in this kind of fight is that we, we connect with each other. And, um, you know, we kind of say, I don't know what to do or say, I can't do it anymore. I need to tap out. Um, these are the kind of ways that um, just to say it helps us keep going. So many words of wisdom and encouragement. Uh, Chuck, I think you do amazing work. There's so much I would love us to continue to cover, and yet, you know, time just goes by incredibly too quickly. Um, Actually, I would hope that maybe we could continue this conversation another time. Yeah, I'd love that. I would love that, too. So let's plan for that. But in the meantime, uh, let's mention again a couple of the resources that we talked about during this conversation and direct people to that to get connected, to find ways that they can get involved. Sure. I can even add in a, a couple that I didn't mention. Um, we've got Abundance of Hope. So this is uh, youth that are affected by homelessness. Um and they serve ages 12 to 25. You can volunteer there. Um, Acres of Diamonds, that is uh, a homeless and women's children um, organization providing transitional housing, allowing people to step out of homelessness and sort of back in the community. Birthday Dreams, um, that's giving homeless children a chance to have a birthday party. They do a birthday in a box kind of program. Um, There's also Fair Start that I didn't mention. Fair Start is committed to solving homelessness, poverty, and hunger by helping uh, people get back into the the job industry to work um, with tools and training um, to do a career in the food and service industry. So they do mentorship, a great program there. Um, Samaritan is the app I mentioned about learning about homeless people's stories. Um, Westside Baby is collects, inspects, and distributes um, diapers and clothing cribs um, for babies and mothers who are on the streets. Um, 
And then Youth Care, which um, works with teens in the greater Seattle area. They do outreach for basic services, emergency shelter. And you can volunteer there. And I, I think if you have any questions um, that you didn't, you know, sort of get answered through just a Google search, 211, um, feel free to call one of these organizations and just ask somebody. I mean, these people are a wealth of resources, uh, more than I can tell you. But, you know, once again, today is about starting the conversation and maybe leading somebody to, um, you know, just make that phone call or, or talk to that person and see what happens from there. Absolutely. Well, again, Chuck, this has just been time so well spent. I really appreciate your spending this time with us, and uh, I look forward to continuing our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Kate. You're greatly welcome. And here's a new feature we will have occasionally. It's called Sunday Morning Shoutout. This morning, we are focusing then on Washington Outdoor Women. This is about connecting to nature through traditional outdoor skills. Washington Outdoor Women is an outdoor skills education program by women for women. Since 1998, Washington Outdoor Women has been reconnecting women with Washington's wilderness through skill-building workshops and classes such as archery, freshwater and fly fishing, backpacking, waterfowling, shotgun, map and compass, survival skills, Dutch oven cooking, outdoor photography, and more. Match your potential with opportunity. You can check out their workshop schedule and register online at http colon double backslash washingtonoutdoorwomen.org. Washington Outdoor Women, wow, is an educational outreach program of the Washington Wildlife Federation and is dedicated to teaching women and girls outdoor skills and natural resource stewardship.